Today we have the privilege of hosting Martin Gonzalez, a guardian of history and a chairman of the Atascosa County Historical Commission. Martin has played a pivotal role in the chronicling of the rich tapestry of Atascosa County, Texas, through his works capturing the essence of a community that prides itself as the birthplace of the cowboy. So we're here with Martin Gonzalez discussing his uh, new works, the book Atascosa County Images of America. So uh, what I was wondering is uh, if you could just you can talk to us a little bit about what drove you to document Atascosa County history and what do you hope that the readers will be able to take away from it? Yes, sir. So th- this is one of those projects that kind of landed on, in my lap. Um, Arcadia had reached out to the museum in Pleasanton that they wanted to do a history of the town because <clears throat> the images of America, they go through towns and communities and through Arcadia Publishing. And um, so, yeah, I talked to the commission and they said, yeah, you know, there's something we could do. Being known, being familiar with the history knew that we haven't had a publication here since 2006 when the sesquicentennial came around. And, you know, it's always good to do one at least every 10 to 15 years so all the history gets covered because you're going to miss some of it. And you don't want to miss any of it, of course, but you want to catch as much as possible. And the last big publication that was pretty thorough was in 1984, and it's a leather-bound book. And if you go looking for it online, you're going to find it. But you're going to find it for about $1,000. I was going to say, we looked it yeah. up and found, like, yeah, it's very expensive to get. <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. And the sesquicentennial book was, I think, locally published. It's not available anymore. So whoever has one, it's always good to keep it. So we just thought we wanted to do something and wanted to involve the community, too, because that's what you want. You're not going to get anything done successfully until you involve the community. And so we I, w- put I, I was going to ask if you could describe the process of the, and the challenges in actually gathering that material for the book. Yeah, so the challenge was really simple. We pretty much had a challenge everybody else had at the time was we started this project in December of 2019, and we were about four months in getting ready to take off, and then COVID came and everything came to an end. Well, <clears throat> not an end, just a pause for a little bit. And we weren't able to pick up until October of 21. So we had a, a lot of dead time there. But still, you know, we were stable, still able to do some work, do some planning on the book until we were able to pick up again. And we put out a call to different communities that we were going to be landing there. And we started visiting with churches, um, places that were kind of public and local so people could come to. And the first place we hit was a Pleasanton First Baptist Church, and they let us borrow their youth building. And it was kind of, we had four donors come in, and one lady brought in a a bunch of pictures. And so you get the pictures, you get the information from them, and then you come up with a narrative between 40 to 75 words per picture. And then you turn it in, and Arcadia tells you yes or no. And so out of over 200 pictures we turned in, they declined four. So that's a pretty good ratio, I think. And so we went to different towns, and in some places we went, <clears throat> we got nothing, nobody showed up. <laughs> and then in some places we did really well, and in, in Poteet, like I said, we were overwhelmed because the Poteet Grange, we set up there, and, and they they uh, put their own call out, too, to help us out. And, of course, a newspaper puts out, they would share our stuff on Facebook, and the Poteet Grange, God, we were there two or three hours hour after we were supposed to leave, just collecting captions and pictures and information on their pictures. Why do you think preserving local history is crucial for communities? Well, you definitely don't want to forget. You want to record as much as possible so that way in the future you can always look back to 
you know, was this here? Did this happen there? Well, we got it recorded, so it's there. And you never want to forget your history because then you'll, I don't think you'll ever get to where you want to go if you forget your past. It's like we were talking about earlier where I was describing that article that I had read about in the forming of Jurdenton. Right. Where we were, it was like, oh, it was very cool to see that they were actually advertising for people to move here <laughs> and start businesses and everything at the very forming of it. To me, I would have never thought of, oh, well, it's like a business in that respect. Yeah. They, they quite literally, uh, what we, we discussed in 1909, all the stuff, the people who were involved in it, it was a business basically for them. Yes. They needed the railroad. They needed the things to happen here. Yes, sir. And that, you know, that was an old technique back then. They'd put out a call, you know, Texas did it. Back when it won its independence from Mexico, they put out a call for people to come to the state of Texas by giving them 360 acres of land. You know, Texas was a huge expanse, and they wanted people to move, and they had the land, so they were giving it away to people. Jernton had the same idea, you know, hey, smaller scale, but bring your bakers, bring your bankers, bring your you know, railroad, railroad men, bring your local businessmen, because they knew that they weren't going to be able to make a town without that. But, yeah, it's very neat. <laughs> what would you say is, is the most interesting thing that you discovered while you were putting the book together about the area? Well, I think that the most important thing is the book as a whole was that how the community did respond and how they did come out. We've had a small-scale book signing at the Poteet Grange, and then we had one. We are having one here today at, at the Fairytale Bookstore. And they have both been very well received for their size. Um, done very well. Everybody who's contributor is ready to purchase this book. Everybody who's a contributor is ready to see it. And not only contributors, but people that want to see it even after it was done. Uh, just that alone just lets me know that the county's still interested in history. They want to come out. They want to see it. They want to know about it. And, I mean, that's why we do it. I mean, that's why I do it. I just want to make sure that everything gets documented and that way in the future, none of this gets lost. Somebody may accidentally find an interview or something I wrote in the future and they'll learn something from it. And if it's 100 years down the road, then I'm alive again. <laughs> Was there anything in the material for the book and the pictures and like that that you, you saw that made you just say, oh, I, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're well-versed in all this, <laughs> that, that you didn't realize before or something that was surprising to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, just... That one of the things that really sticks out in my head was, you know, I didn't realize that there were still pictures of, or that anybody had pictures of the Poteet Fire. You know, a lot of the older folks from Poteet. 19, 1933, 34. And I say older folks, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. They'll, they'll talk about it, and I listen, you know, when they talk, because you're going to learn something new. And Tommy Williams had talked about it, and I've heard other people say, yeah, well, the Poteet Fire destroyed a lot. You hear about it, hear about it, and, well, this business didn't come back after the Poteet Fire. And then you actually see the picture of the of the fire and the rubble that was left after that, and it's like, wow, you know, it, it burned the whole town down. Kind of like the Chicago fire. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden there is nothing there anymore. Yeah, there's nothing there anymore, and they're having, you know, they're having to rebuild. And, you know, that was another one was St. Matthew's Church. You, you don't realize until you go and see it how... The church has been there since 1912. You know, not the same one. This, this is a, this one that's here today is the third one, but they've rebuilt it in the same place. The congregation is still great grandchildren of the people that were originally yeah. there. Probably you know, raised the first one. Yes, you know, and it's it, it's it, that's very interesting to me to be able to see that that the county changes but doesn't. 
Yeah, that's very cool. And, and I, I wanted to point out also, just looking at the book, it's just the, the images and the pictures that are in here, this visually enlightening of the time. Of course, we didn't have color photography like that, but, <laughs> but you look at that, and, and of course, it almost looks like we, we potentially antiqued it or something, but those are beautiful uh, from the original pictures I would imagine that you received. And they're just, it's, it's so neat to see something. And, and like I saw one thing that you, I think you had pointed out that you look at this picture and there's only one thing in that picture that still exists today. <laughs> yeah. And it's surrounded by all these other things. It's like, wow, I didn't know we had that here. Yeah. And you know, that's just, that's one of the things about this book is like, we would scan in pictures, and, and you take a small photo, and the machine would scan it, and, and it, would, it would scan it to a full size, and it brings up so many details that you didn't notice because the picture was so small that now that it's enlarged, well, you can see all the stuff in the background. You can see animals. You can see people. You can see objects that you nobody has seen in probably since the picture got taken. Yeah, I think uh, like courthouses and stuff like that. Would you yeah. get pictures of courthouses where they had the... Uh, the horse rigs that you tie off the yeah. horse, and the, or there's a picture of somebody that's, that's walking <laughs> out of the courthouse, and you go, oh, yeah. who's that? It's a very cool feeling. Yeah. There's a there's a, a panoramic in that picture, uh, side by side, one uh, uh, vertical on there, and it, the first picture on top shows a bunch of men standing outside the Durrington Bank facing west on Main Street, and there's nothing in the background but landscape. Of course, the picture didn't catch landscape. And then you see the same picture 10 years later, and you see... The same view, the same bank with the same insignia on the top. And in the background, you see the skeleton foundation of the courthouse being built. Wow. I think that was a really cool picture. Those, both of those pictures are really neat. So that, what year would that have been? That would have been, would have been a, the picture was 19, the first one was 1901, the second one was 1910. Wow. So <laughs> just a year after Jordan was formed. Yeah. <laughs> Very neat. Uh, how do you think that we can make local history more engaging to the younger generation? Oh start talking about it and bring in more local flair and letting them know what their connections are. Um, a lot of people feel disconnected to history because what does it matter to me? You know, that's the thought. Yeah, I'm going to learn something new, but what does it matter to me? Well, when you start telling, talking about names and connecting them to people nowadays, oh, wow, I'm related to so-and-so. Oh, so you're related to this person too. So we're doing a new approach, and I'm starting it at Pleasanton School this next week. They've asked me to come do presentations about Atascosa County's connection to the Texas Revolution. Well, Texas had two revolutions, and Atascosa County's connection to both is very important. Um, there's a lot of people that I'm talking about, and they all have ancestors that still live here. So I'm thinking that some of those classes that I'm going to talk about this, their ancestors will be sitting in this class, too, and they're probably going to go home and talk about it and realize, oh, wow, you know, that person that was, was related to me, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's the connection, is, is to get young people engaged. History sometimes doesn't feel yet real when you're young until you can actually begin to realize it really is everything that's around you right now. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's just that it's changed over time. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and that's, I think that's my strategy for, for younger people and get younger people involved in the Historical Commission, which we're, we're on that right now. I was ask about that, what's going on with the Historical yeah. Commission. Yeah, so we got, when, when I first took over, we had a, a members that had been there a long time, and, um, you know, they, they know the information, they know the, the brain, and coming from county government myself, I was pretty familiar with it, and the first thing that they asked me coming in was, how many of us are you going to fire? And, 
And Not a good question to come and, into. And it's, it's kind of weird because, you know, we're a volunteer group, number one. Number two, you know, I, I've never been the guy that comes in and, well, I'm firing everybody and starting you. I think that's foolish. But, um, you know, I wasn't going to get rid of anybody because everybody's got an asset or else they wouldn't be sitting in that room. And my predecessor told me exactly what I needed to know. And so I went in with a mindset of, hey, I'm going to use everybody in this room to help me know the things that I need to know, and I'm going to get new people in here that need to do the work because you bring young people in, they're going to have ideas, and then you have the people that are already there, they're kind of set. They're not going to like new ideas or want to do new ideas, but they'll like the thought of them. They'll have the knowledge for it. The younger people will have the legs for it, and we got a great fit. And that's what we have right now. We have a lot of young people ready to hit the ground running. We have a great metal detecting team. We have... Uh, uh, Sarah, who started off as an intern, now she's a full-time member with us, and she does a lot of research because she goes to school. Outstanding, outstanding young lady going to UTSA. <laughs> yes, sir. And so she does a lot of our, our research, and, w and she'll reach out to the group, and we'll give her all the information she needs and the resource she needs to go find it at. She does the research, and then we'll use that research in the future to preserve history. So it's a win-win, you know, and then you got younger people that work for the county still, like our, um, our uh, rural development department. Mm -hmm. She's on the commission with us. And she's got, you know, always a good resource to have that. We have military historian Eric. Eric is great military historian. He's a vet. He's there for the vets. And so, you know, we, we have a good group. So I, I want to go back because uh, several months back, uh, we uh, got a chance to uh, be out there with the uh, Daughters of the American Republic in the unveiling of the uh, um, uh, plaque, uh, the um, uh, marker yes. at the uh, at the courthouse. Mm -hmm. I know that you uh, you get a great <laughs> thrill out of doing those unveilings of the yeah. different uh, placards and, and markers and like that. What's the most recent one that you did? That one, uh, the one we did at the courthouse is the America 250 marker through the Daughters of the American Revolution. And so they had a, uh, a ceremony, or they had a program where it resulted in a ceremony where they want to celebrate, they wanted, all across the U.S., they wanted the one st each state to have one marker for the America 250, America's 250th birthday in 2026. Well, the state of Texas has two, one of them is San Antonio, one of them is here. And because we encompass a lot of ranches, we, Atascosa County area, and the old ranch, the old Spanish ranches donated a lot of beef and cattle to the cause, to the Revolutionary War. They took them through Louisiana and up north. And so that's that's Atascosa County's role in the Revolutionary War. And they were going to, um, so we were going to do the, celebrate the 250th anniversary in Atascosa County. And it's one of the counties throughout the whole country that has a marker already. And so I thought that was really neat that we were the, you know, one of the only places that this marker is sitting now. Like one of the only three or four in Texas, right? Two. Two. One two, of two, yeah. One of two in Texas right now. Now, they do plan on having other ones in other places in Texas, don't they? Uh, not too many. Not too many, just a few no, more. I think this is it. And uh, Every other state still has to get on board and get one. And like I said, we're getting ready for the 250th anniversary. So we plan, we're working on, the, on getting that celebration coming up with the Daughters of the American Revolution. That's great. So... The other thing that, uh, sticking on markers real quick, just very quickly, uh, we were just speaking about the one coming up at the cemetery. Rangers? 
Yes, Texas uh, Rangers. former Texas Rangers Association. Yes. Right, so, and two things on that. One is if you just tell us a little bit more about that. And then the other is, is that uh, how do these, uh, these markers play a role in... I, I know I see them, and I'll stop. We'll, we stop anywhere we drive, yeah. and we'll stop and read the <laughs> markers like that. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're very good for the communities that they're in because otherwise people may not even stop driving through some of these places. Yeah, like these are a little bit different. These are sitting in um, inside cemeteries, and they're ranger crosses. And they, they're to recognize the old Texas rangers that came through because back then that was only law enforcement. Um, they were developed in 1823, and the... There was no law enforcement here to kind of help the citizens that they were wanting to populate Texas. So they created the Texas Rangers, which was local law enforcement. Guys were going through different territories and just kind of enforcing the law, helping um, the settlers not get killed by Native American attacks. And so that, that, there's a lot of Rangers, and, and a lot of them, they started this program. I don't remember what year. But the for Texas, former Texas Rangers Association started this program to recognize them, and, and we have a few in this county right now, and we recently got approved for John Campbell, which is at the Campbellton Cemetery, and his son was Jordan Campbell, and Jordan Campbell developed Jordanton. So that's kind of very important to Jordanton because John went and developed Campbellton down in southeast Atascosa County, and his son followed his example and came up here this way and develop a town of his own. And so I think without John, you wouldn't have Jordanton. That's right. Well, I mean, yeah, because his son would never have been born, but that's, that's very important. Not only that, but he was a Texas Ranger and he was, he was a pretty active Ranger. He, you know, he, he had to be a Ranger back when it was pretty much no man's land here. Back in the 1840s and 1850s, there was nothing here. It's so hard to imagine that when this is the Toby <laughs> Ranch. Yeah. B before that, probably, yeah. right? Even before uh, it was the Toby yeah, Ranch. Yeah, it was before it was the Toby Ranch, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about tough guys. Those were the tough guys back then. Was he the one that died, died in the line of duty, or was that... Uh, no. There was another one we spoke of. No, it was another one we spoke of. John Campbell died, I want to say, there in Campbellton in the church, uh, St. Francis, I think. Mm -hmm. It still stands today, and, and when the when their their ancestors come down and visit, they go to that church and they say it's still the way they remember it. You know, <laughs> I don't know. It's not good. That should be good, right? Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a very good thing. Very yeah. cool. That means preservation is is, is alive and well. Very good. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'm going to stop here. I know you've got other things you need to get on to. Yes, sir. I do appreciate you very much for coming out to Fairy Tale Books today and Thank you signing for your me. copies. It looks like you've had. Quite a few people have come <laughs> yeah. in to get a copy. Yeah. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, Is there anything coming up new with you on books or anything? Uh, not for books. Uh, we're probably going to do some more book signings, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know. We don't have anything set yet. We do have, you know, historical marker coming up at the Poteet Methodist Church on March 17th, tentatively set right now. And other than that, we just continue the column at the Pleasanton Express. And I usually keep everybody pretty well updated there. Very good. Thanks again. Appreciate you coming out. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me.